Welcome to the Sacred Ancestry Podcast, a show about discovering the true human potential. Let's dive deep into physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health. I'm your host, Thomas Worm. The best thing about the breakthrough sessions is when my client's entire physiology changes. Their voice changes, even the way they talk about things is completely different than it was before the session. Their entire life is changed in front of my eyes. The spark they had as a child is back. And what's so beautiful is that they are the exact client I need right now. Because whatever they release, I release too. I learn so much about myself every session, and the client releases a seed that connects all the problems in their life. The client is realigned in their mind, body, and spirit. That's the breakthrough session. So go to mountainmindtricks.com and sign up for a discovery session so we can chat, learn more about each other, and see if you're a good fit for a breakthrough session. Go to mountainmindtricks.com. Writing a book isn't about the actual book because there, there's going to be those obstacles that try and derail you from the actual writing. The key is preserving through the pain of writing every day. The book begins to highlight your emotional deep core wounds in a way that makes you want to quit writing, right? But if you stay on the course, the old beliefs, the old identity of yourself, the negative ways of thinking begin to fall away. And suddenly, a new way of being starts to emerge. This is when the book begins to come alive and write itself. Because in this moment, you aren't writing the book. The book is writing itself as you have this internal transformation. This is the essence of healing through writing. Is your book screaming from the back of your mind? I know mine was. What would happen if your healing journey stopped here? You never got over that final hump. Your regret, remorse from not writing your book was the source of mind-body, future disease. I mean, what would you tell your clients if you couldn't work anymore? Go be healed somewhere else? I mean, what would happen if your business failed because you hold yourself back from your highest self? What would it be like if you regretted the book you never wrote and your last thoughts in your deathbed was, I wish I would have written that book. See, all these things are tragic but it's possible for you to reach your big dream and be a number one best-selling author. When the book heals the author, the book heals the reader. This is a powerful concept because when books heal the reader, they sell and they go number one bestseller. So I'm starting this movement of healing through writing and using the breakthrough session to release the root cause of writer's block, that procrastination, that loss of motivation when you started writing your book or you had the idea and you never started. There's one-on-one coaching calls, weekly homework and accountability. After a comprehensive health assessment, we build habits and systems and goals to keep you on track. There's MP3 guided meditations, one-on-one hypnosis. And then I really teach you how to get published, how to self-publish or publish with my company, Mountain Mind Tricks Publishing. Then you leverage your book on podcasts, talk shows, speaking engagements, and you manifest that prosperity and passive income you're really looking for in your business. So I want you to check out BreakthroughWritersBlock.com and join the Healing Through Writing movement. It'll be the best thing you've ever done in your life because writing a book will completely change everything. So go to BreakthroughWritersBlock.com. Again, that's BreakthroughWritersBlock.com. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited for my guest today. Her name's Nicole Watson, and she's a suicide prevention strategist, and her story is so amazing, so inspiring, and 
And for everybody listening, just get ready for a wild ride because this is going to be an amazing, amazing episode. So, Nicole, could you introduce yourself and and let us know how you got to where you are as a suicide prevention strategist and kind of what your journey was like? So thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Nicole Watson. A lot of people call me the life snatcher. I am a certified suicide prevention specialist. I'm a proud life survivor and I supply suicide prevention resources and tools and strategies to influencers and community allies and people who wrestle with suicidal ideation. And as a village, all of us together, we deliver support and guidance to people who are suffering and we make sure that people know that they can resolve the pain that they're going through in their lives. So the way that I got here is kind of interesting. It was accidental, meaning I shared my story. And the more I shared my story, the more people came to me and wanted assistance. Um, People came to me and said that, you know, they were so happy that somebody was finally being honest about having a mental illness that causes suicidal ideation. And so from there, the more I began to tell my story, it just organically blossomed into what I do now. Oh, that's so amazing. And and uh, yeah, your story is so compelling. And, and do you mind sharing with the audience a little bit of I guess your background and and what got you into specifically the suicide prevention part, and and if you're open to it, uh, of course, if if you're willing to share about kind of your journey of how you got here. Oh yeah, sure. So I growing up was very um, depressed, right? I chalked it up to being a teenager, being bullied in school, etc. But I kept really good notes and really good records about my life, when I wanted to kill myself, why I wanted to kill myself, how, all of my attempts, like I have journals and diaries and stuff for days. And so growing up, I think I just dealt with a lot of isolation because I was different. I was academically gifted. I was in the band. I was just a lot of things that a lot of people considered to be like weird or geeky or nerdy. And so then that transferred and translated over into my young adult life and in my young adult life I went through a lot of spiritual abuse and just a lot of stuff and so I just never wanted to be here I always felt like I was a mistake I felt like I wasn't supposed to be born and I felt like in order to end the trauma and the chaos and the turmoil that had been my life I need I literally needed to in my life. So I spent the majority of my life, actually, because I'm only 36, trying to figure out how to escape life. It's kind of like on Final Destination, the movie where when people cheat death, death always comes back around to get them. And so I always felt like me being here was cheating, so to speak. And I just would be like, I don't want to be here. I don't feel like I belong here. People don't accept me. I'm weird. I'm strange. I don't fit in with anybody. And so, you know, I just grew up with that consciousness. And because of that, 
I will always find myself in the wrong relationships. I will find myself with abusers because I really didn't know any other way to exist except for, you know, being abused and being rejected and all of that stuff. And so um, I attempted several times. The last time I counted was time number 22. And I can't remember how many times it was after that, but I know for sure that I can document that it was 22. So having said that, when I started to share my story, I was very open about the fact that I was a church girl, church all my life. I was a praise and worship leader. I was a, uh, a, um, a minister, a preacher, whatever you want to call it. I was all of these things. And yet, none of that was able to stop or quiet the chatter in my head. And so just being able to break the silence about that really changed my life and started my journey um, in suicide prevention because I really wanted to know, I really wanted people to know most people who are suicidal don't want to kill themselves. They want to kill something in their life, but they, they can't either identify that something or they know they can't control that something. And so it's like, I would rather self-destruct than be destroyed by this thing. Um, and so, yeah, just wanting people to be aware, just wanting people to stop stigmatizing mental illness as a whole, it has just really become my mission because of the treatment that I received, you know, when I was going through my situation and the way that people bullied me and ostracized me and criticized me and told me I was making it up and told me that I wanted attention, you know, all of that kind of fueled the fire to make me want to get out here and say, no, that's not what it is. And let's talk about what's really going on. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing and, and going in depth. And I really appreciate everything that you're saying. And and I want to go back to something you said a little bit and, and just ask, um, if you mind going into like, I'm, cu- I'm just curious on like spiritual abuse, like, what do you mean by that? And, and you definitely don't have to, you know, if you, if you're open to it, please. Um, but I, yeah, I'm just curious about the spiritual abuse. Like what, what does that mean? Okay. So spiritual abuse, if you look at it in terms of the psychological community, it is what they call in the psychological community, institutional betrayal. And what it means is that you entrust people who are in spiritual leadership capacities to care for you, to love you, to protect you, to do all the things. So when they don't and they protect the institution or themselves or the people who are causing you harm more than they protect you, that is spiritual abuse. So in my case, I dealt with a lot of people who were either narcissistic or they were unhappy in their own lives and they would constantly try to tear me down because I was ambitious and I was, you know, so I remember in, I remember a particular instance that I'll share. Um, I was going to a church and I was going to do this suicide prevention stuff that I had been, you know, kind of starting out trying to figure out, you know, what I wanted to do. And I remember taking it to her and I was like, hey, this is what I want to do. What do you think about it? And she literally looked at my piece of paper 
and all of my cute little laid out plans with logos and charts and graphs and laughed in my face. And she was like, well, you can just do this at church. You don't have to go out and do this by yourself. This ain't this ain't something that's so significant that you need to make a business out of it. You know what I'm saying? So spiritual abuse is a lot of demeaning, um, belittling, you know, just really making people feel like they're less than what they are. Because sometimes when people want to escape their own mental turmoil, they infiltrate the the religious community because it's easy to hide. It's easy for you to get a position of power and use that to overcompensate for your own problems and your own inadequacies. So I dealt with a lot of that. I dealt with a lot of bullying in the church, um, just a lot of abusive things. And when you add the layer of the spiritual component, it's because these are the people that you really expect to take care of you. If you don't have your family, you don't have your friends, you don't have you know, whoever or whatever, the spiritual community where you spend your Sundays, your Wednesdays, your Friday nights, your money, your your everything, you expect those people to take care of you. And so when they don't, it it's it's it becomes a lot more hurtful and harmful than if it had been like somebody on your job or something like that. Wow, this is that's really that's a a really interesting frame and I and I love the way you're explaining this having the institution you know more important than the the person or in the community and and having yeah those leaders almost you know yeah betrayal that is uh wow that must have hurt so much and and thank you thank you for for sharing that and and I guess for me it's so interesting because I think I was I was bullied most of my life until I left high school. Like I wasn't so bad in high school, but like elementary school, middle school, uh, like definitely times as a firefighter, like I felt seriously bullied, but like I would say younger ages, I was bullied a lot, like really hardcore and it's always affected me for sure. And the, the, what you're talking about, the institutional betrayal, it's, Wow, this is so common in in the firefighter space, and and I'm just drawing parallels because I, I wanted to express this is that um, we have that I think that identity to the job so much that it is like our religion, it's like our church, and so when the institution doesn't take care of us, like the pay and the retirement, and when things are like I guess the biggest here here's the biggest one when we get injured or somebody dies, there's no help. There's nobody to help us. There's no, uh, there's no money to help the families. It's, it just turns into this big mess where the institution basically comes after you and fires you for getting hurt on the job. So I can see how wow. this, yeah. And this, um, you're just you're just making this a uh, little bit go deeper for me because it's like, wow, that is like that is definitely spiritual. That's a spiritual abuse. Wow, that is much deeper. Mm-hmm. So, thank you for allowing me to have that um, insight for myself. And and how how did you move past from, or how did you go from grassroots kind of uh, um, local to what you're doing now? Like, what was that journey like? So it really was birthed out of rejection. I remember being on social media circa 2014 ish (laughs) and I was like 
I want to give free workshops to all the churches I know. I want to give free suicide prevention and anti-bullying workshops to everybody. And one person took me up on the offer. Out of all the pastors, preachers, churches, people, whatever I know, which is a lot because I grew up in church. Nobody wanted to be bothered. And I'm just like, hello, people are killing themselves at the time. It was one person every 17 minutes. Now it's one person every 12.5 minutes. And that's the number as of 2018. So it's probably going to be more. It went down in 2019, but the 12.5 minutes didn't go down. But it's probably going to go up because of the pandemic. But who knows? But anyway, the point is, it's a lot of people. 48,000 people died by suicide the last year that we have numbers for. So it's a lot of people. So having said that, I was really passionate about you know, the whole charity starts at home. So let me start with the people I know. And nobody, nobody wanted to be bothered. And I'm like, you know what? I'm either going to not do this or I'm going to expand my horizons. So my first instinct was I'm not going to do it. I have a good job. It don't matter. I don't care. And then every single time I would be about to quit, Somebody would kill themselves, a celebrity. Somebody, one of my friends knew. And it would just be like, oh my goodness, like I cannot live with myself if I don't do this. And so I said, well, I need to go and I just need to to tell the story and spread the message. And if people receive it, they do. If they don't, they don't. And so when I opened up my horizons and thought, Outside of the people I know, I just really became known for what I do. Now, keep in mind, people that I know, they know that I do this. They know I'm good at it. I've taught hundreds of people out of suicide. I have a 100% success rate. Nobody I've talked to has ever died by suicide. Um, nobody, yeah, nobody I've ever talked to has died by suicide, I should say. Um, and yeah, so... Everybody knows what I do and they know that I'm good at it, but I think it's just one of those things where people don't really have an appreciation for something until they see other people appreciating you for it. So I just had to launch out and put myself out there. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. And and uh yeah, really expanding. I love that. And and so I want to go back a little bit to to the attempts and and I you know, um I guess what I'm curious about, was there ever a time that you had a near-death experience or actually did get pretty close to dying or any sort of mystical experiences in the, on the other side type thing? Oh, absolutely. So I remember one time um, I poisoned myself. Disclaimer, do not try this at home. Do not try to poison yourself. This is not medical advice. All the disclaimers. So anyway, um. I remember I drank a poisonous substance that I won't say. And I just remember it burning, like burning me, like, oh my goodness, like burning me. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Jim Jones documentary and how when they drank the Kool-Aid, it made them run away. It was literally like that because it's like your body goes into like this fight or flight thing and you think you can like outrun the poison, but it's like in your body. Now, I don't know if I would have died. I don't know. But I was like, oh, my God, like, I need you 
to take the poison out of this poison and I know that sounds crazy but that's literally what I said I was like I should not have done this I know that there's a purpose for my life I was in a moment I should not have drank this stuff I do not want to die if you find it in your heart in your soul in whatever you have I need you to please, 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 please do not let me die. And I'm literally like running because I don't, I don't know what to do. Like I'm in a panic. And so I remember like collapsing, but it was a collapse of like, it wasn't like I lost consciousness. It was just like a, I'm at the end of the road. I don't know what to do. Kind of like if you, if somebody's chasing you and you can't go any further, but you're not strong enough to like turn around and there's nothing you can do, you just collapse. It was like that. And I remember just sitting there and I closed my eyes and it was like, I just felt this, this piece of like, it's going to be okay. I thought I was on the other side. And at that point I was fine. I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm on the other side. So, Okay. And I remember just sitting there like, whew, so I wonder what this is going to be like. And I remember feeling like this cooling sensation, like go all over my body. And I was just like, whew, I feel so much better. And in my mind, I'm literally on the other side and that's why I feel better. And I remember laying there and all of a sudden it was like a, Kind of like when you're in a dream and then you like randomly wake up because you hear a noise and you like jolt out of the bed like boom and then you're just like sitting up looking crazy. That's how I was. And I was like, okay, so is this me? And I was like touching myself like, am I alive? And I was. And I just remember just boohoo crying because all of the burning and all of the everything that I, that I you know, experienced. I did not feel and so then I'm like okay so if I go to the hospital and I tell them I drank this stuff they're gonna like put me away as you know people say they're gonna put me away so I'm like I don't know what to do and I said well okay I'm gonna go to the hospital I'm gonna tell them that I have indigestion and I'm gonna ask them to like check my esophagus or something because it's burning or something and so I went and I told him, I was like, oh, my God, I have this acid reflux feeling and it went away, but I just want to make sure I'm OK and blah, 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 blah. And they checked me and with the little the little tube, the little thing with the light and I was fine. And I remember that being like a real turning point. I have several times where miraculous stuff happened to me. I remember being about to drive my car into oncoming traffic um, after a church service. And I remember my car getting into the grass and it just slowing down. And I'm like, hello. (laughs) And it's just slowing down. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I'm thinking that my life is in slow motion. And the whole time my car is like slowing down. So many miraculous things have happened to me. And it's so crazy how people really don't believe in the miraculous. But I know you as a firefighter have experienced where like people randomly get rescued from car crashes. And then you look around for the person that they say rescued them. And there's like 
no person or you know somebody says they heard a noise and it woke them up and their house was on fire and they never would have known or you know a truck crashes into their house and they had literally just gotten up because something they heard a voice calling their name like stuff really happens and I know a lot of people are skeptical about stuff like that but in my life I can honestly say I have seen things like that happen and so even though I have had suicide attempts after that one thing that always grounds me is the fact that I know that there is a purpose for my life and that doesn't mean that if people are able to die by suicide that there's not a purpose for their life like I'm not saying that either or I'm just saying that for me the things that I have gone through when I have attempted have further solidified why in fact I'm here wow that's thank you so much for go, for going into that and it's just so amazing the the mystical part of that. And, you know, I'm personally a near death experiencer as well, an out of body experiencer. And, um, gosh, there was so many times in my life where I've had so many snowboarding accidents or surfing accidents or so many things happen in firefighting. It's like, I should have died like a hundred times, but some crazy miraculous thing happened where it's like, you sure like I'm not dead? And I've had that feeling before. Like, are you sure? Maybe I like went to a different dimension and I know that sounds really weird, but, um, and, and going back to your story of, of it, it sounds like you did cross over to me and almost like the, the way you explained of like, um, praying or, or asking for, you know, take the poison out and you go to the hospital and it being fine. I mean, to me, that is, that's like concrete proof of, of some sort of mystical experience to me that was so amazing and and uh uh you know unfortunate circumstances as well but i guess what i'm curious about is is how did that you know it sounds like you're a very spiritual person within the church and everything i'm not sure if you're still in the church or in a church but what does that like speak to you about afterlife about um heaven or what like, how does that affect your spiritual reality, I guess, having those experiences? So for me, I believe that the experiences that I've had have solidified for me that the unseen world is more vast and more powerful and more real than the seen world. And that the unseen world works in conjunction with the seen world to push you through the physical experience to get you back home. And so um, I go to church. I'm not like as, quote, religious as I used to be because being home with the pandemic has really enlightened me on the vastness of God, creator, source whatever name you want to use, right? And so to illustrate this, I'm going to actually use the story of Kevin Hines, who is like the suicide prevention guy who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived. And he talked about how, you know, he jumped off, he immediately regretted it, and how somebody saw him go over. And the person who saw him go over called her friend who was in the Coast Guard and said, somebody just went over. 
I need you to see if you can, you know, find them. And the Coast Guard person literally happened to be like in the water or by the water, like at that exact moment. And when he landed in the water, something was keeping him afloat and come to find out it was some kind of animal. I forgot what animal it was, but it literally got up under him and kept him afloat until the Coast Guard person could get to him. And so divinely, and now he prevents suicide like all over the world. And so divinely orchestrated things like that give me the security to know that this world that we live in is supported by things and and by light and energy and love and I don't know if they're angels or ancestors or beings I I don't I don't know what they are but we are supported by something and someone that we can't see and we can't define you know and so I think just being close to death so many times and feeling okay and like not being scared and not being like oh my goodness oh my goodness this is horrible you know what I'm saying like really feeling at peace and feeling love and feeling okay has just really strengthened my faith in not even the afterlife in terms of once your physical life is over yes but that it's not a se- it's not separate from my life and the only thing that makes it the afterlife is my transition but that everything we think of that happens in the afterlife is literally happening and literally in our world while we are alive wow i love that so much yeah i I totally agree. There's these our divine energy, love, light, God, whatever we want to call it, whatever we want to connect with. There's something that helps us find our original instructions or, um, you know, this really is getting to the, the name of the podcast, like our sacred ancestry, finding that light inside of us of who we are and what we're meant to be doing. Like what's our divine purpose on earth and, why we're here in this physical plane for a little bit. It's so, uh, wow. I just, I love the frame and, and the way you're explaining all this. And I really appreciate, uh, everything that you're saying. And, um, I guess I, I'm curious on, so after it sounded like after your kind of divine experience or mystical experience that we talked about earlier, maybe things started to get a little bit better and eventually, um, you got to where you are now. And I'm curious on the, the healing journey you went through, you know, I think we're always on a healing journey, but like, how, how did you get past the, or, um, reduce the ideations or, um, like, how did you heal through this? Like, what was your, like, was there affirmations? Was there meditation or like, what were you using to really help, help you get through this time? So fun fact about me. (laughs) I cannot say that I have. Um, I wanted to kill myself like the other day, like Saturday, I think, Friday. Um, But I think what I've learned is that 
I have power because you can't help what comes into your mind. You, you can't help the thoughts that your mind generates or the thoughts that are outside of your mind that swim in. But what you can help is how you deal with those thoughts and the position you, you um, deal with those thoughts from. So, for example, something may seem bigger than you. But if you go up higher and look at it, you may discover that it wasn't bigger than you. It just looked like it was. If you look at it from a different perspective, you often see it, you know, not in the same way or it's not as harmful or it's not as big or it's not as dangerous or whatever. And so for me, doing my work that I do has been the game changer in my life because at any given time somebody could call me and be like look I can't do it anymore and I have to be in a place where I can help them to be better to get better to do better you know all of that and so for me I think knowing that I have power knowing that I don't have to let my thoughts ruin or run my life and knowing that my thoughts are not me so just because I get the thought you're worthless nobody likes you your life is trash I don't have to entertain that I don't have to believe it I don't have to repeat it I don't have to do anything and it's kind of like you know when you are read your rights You are then empowered because you know what to say and what not to say. You know what to do and and what not to do. You know what's going to happen to you if you say the wrong thing. You know what I'm saying? Knowing your rights in any situation, in in leasing a house, in buying a car, you feel empowered when you know your rights. And so when you understand the right you have as a citizen of this physical experience, to command your day and to take charge of your thoughts when you're able because you're not always able if you have a mental illness there are times when you can't take charge of your thoughts right but when you can every time you can if you make a practice of doing that it makes it easier to deal with and then in those times where you physically cannot You have created so much muscle memory in your mind and in your body that when your body kicks into autopilot, it immediately picks up and does what you cannot consciously do. Wow, I love it. Yeah, and and I think for me personally, I... I had really severe anxiety for for a couple years and and, uh, it was it got pretty debilitating almost. And, and I would say one of the things I turned to was like exactly what you're saying, like how to have these awful thoughts. And then um, personally, I turned to affirmations of like, okay, what's the opposite of that? And then I would just start repeating it and repeating mm-hmm. it and repeating it. Like every time that thought came up, I would repeat the opposite until it just kind of that negative thought kind of diminished. And, and uh, for me, eventually it took like years of affirmations and, and a lot of the, um, a lot of spiritual work and things like that, but it finally went away. And it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, there's, there's so much healing and possibility 
when we take the power back. And, and I love the way you said that, you know, I'm not my thoughts. And I think that was such a powerful takeaway for everybody listening of like, that's, I'm not sure how many people realize that, you know, they feel so powerless to their thoughts, but we're not our thoughts. We do have control. We get to, I guess to me, it comes down to, we get to choose what we think. Even when we have bad thoughts, it's like, I'm going to choose something better. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, um, so tell us more about uh, your, your, um, kind of what you're doing now of, you know, I know you have multiple books and I think, um, let me see if I get this right. Uh, I speak life and good morning, young butterfly, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. And so I was curious if, um, like if you could tell us more about, um, your writing journey and, and what these books are about and, and who they're for. So I speak life is a 30 day suicide prevention devotional that I wrote in 2016. So my theology has changed a lot since then. So I'm actually re-releasing that book for my birthday. I'm going to write it, um, next month. I'm going to go out of town and I'm going to write it again. Um, so yeah, that's that. But it's for people in the church or adjacent to the church. And it kind of deconstructs the church language around suicide. And it makes the message more accessible because I don't tell people, well, you need to be grateful and you need to, you know, just be happy because somebody has it worse. I tell them, okay, you hate your life. Let's dig deep into what do you hate? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Is it the fact that you don't have money? Like, what is it? And so what's unique about it is that I literally walk you through 30 days of your life. So every morning you wake up and there I am on your bookshelf and I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to help you make it through the day. I'm going to give you an affirmation. I'm going to give you a journal prompt and I'm going to tell you to meet me tomorrow, same place same time because I believe that if I can get you to look forward to 29 or 30 days that gives you the muscle memory to look forward to other days so that's that um and if you don't go to church if you're not adjacent to the church it'll still benefit you it just has like church language and scripture references and things like that because that's the intended audience for it Um, As far as Good Morning Young Butterfly, Good Morning Young Butterfly is a book collection of activity books. It has like vocabulary words and all this kind of stuff. So it's just activity books that help young girls, like teens and tweens, just to kind of deal with different things that they may have struggles with, like self-esteem, self-worth, forgiveness, compassion, conflict resolution and I give them activities I give them doodle pages just all kinds of things so that book specifically is for um you know younger younger girls oh that's wonderful that's amazing work and and what about the um there you have a prevention guide right that's like kind of a um, I'm not sure if it's free or not. I think it is, but it was on your website, right? The the free like prevention guide. What's that about? So I have two things. I have a safety plan. The safety plan is free. The safety plan basically um, 
it's for anyone. It keeps you safe if you have a mental health crisis or if anything happens. It is all the things that somebody who is close to you would need to know about you. Like, what are your triggers? What do you do when you're mad? Where do you like to go? Who do you like to be around? Who are the three people you trust the most where if something happened or if you're going through something or if you feel like something is about to happen, who would those three people be that you would call? And the reason that I did this is because number one, safety plans are paramount in suicide prevention. And number two, I wanted to re-vision, re-envision the safety plan from the way that I had always seen it being done because when you do a safety plan, you shouldn't do it from the mindset of I'm in a crisis. You should do it when you're absolutely great and everything is wonderful and everybody should do one. So it shouldn't be tied to I have depression, so let me do a safety plan. It should be I'm a human being walking the face of the earth, so let me do a safety plan. So that's that. And I also um, do a common affirmation in the safety plan so that if you get into a situation, what's the one thing you can say? Mine is I'm safe, I'm loved, I'm protected. I'm safe, I'm loved, I'm protected. You know, so that's that. Then I have the Ultimate Suicide Prevention Guide. That's a paid offer. It has the ebook, it has videos, it has all of this amazing stuff. And in that, I give you everything there is to know about suicide prevention. The numbers, by race, by gender, um, by state, all that, demographics, all that. I give you resources, hotlines. I tell you about all the trainings that there are. I tell you about what to say to people, what not to say to people, just everything. And so that is my, the thing I'm most proud of, like in my life, that one thing that, that seals the deal for me. So yeah, um, those are my things. Oh, that's so awesome. And, and could you like, where can people find you? Do you have socials, website, um, all of those things? Where can people get a hold of you? So all my socials are um, Nicole Watson, Twitter. Now here's the thing on Twitter. I don't really talk about suicide prevention because Twitter is like my outlet where I talk to my friends, but everywhere else I talk about suicide prevention. So I'm on Instagram. You can go to my website, NicoleWatson.com. Hop on my email list. I send really amazing things. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Facebook. I'm everywhere. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah, all the links will be in the show notes. And and uh, I'm curious, is there is there any questions I haven't asked you or maybe a part of your story that we can get to? Or is there anything you want to um, talk about? No, you really covered everything. Um, One thing that I will say is that I had no idea that suicide was so prevalent in the firefighter community, but that is something that I have really, really been studying. Like I knew that it was prevalent in like EMS workers and people like that, but firefighters specifically, I had no idea. So thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. Yeah, thank you so much for being interested in that. And, and you know, what's so there's for, you know, specifically, I'm a wildland firefighter, and, and those are the folks that I serve. Um, 
and so that's so much different in the city. It's more like in the mountains, you know, we get flown in by helicopters or um, hike in 10 miles into the wilderness type type scenarios. And what's so interesting is that there's there's not a lot of data yet. But what I have seen is that in, I think the last like really official thing I saw in a publication was in 2016, it was like half 45 to 50% of the fatalities that year were suicide, which is like, wow, that is really, really, really high. I mean, you're still only talking like nine to nine to 12 people or something like that, but that is really high for, cause you know, we're a lot smaller organization. There's only, Oh gosh, of uh, I can't remember, maybe like ten to fifteen thousand of us across the whole country. So it's not like every city, you know, we're we're very spread out in a small community. So it's it's pretty high and it's it's um it's a major, major problem that's not being talked about yet. So just the fact that you're interested in it and uh, just thank you so much. And I really appreciate everything everything we've talked about today because it just raises that awareness and even calling out our negative thoughts. I mean, even that is like, nobody wants to talk about that, but it's so important. And um, thank you so much for coming on the show. And and do you have any final thoughts for, for the audience? Thank you so much for having me, number one. And just for the audience, you know, if you are struggling, definitely reach out for help. You can call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. And just know that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to ask your family and friends, you know, are you thinking about ending your life? It's okay to be direct. It's okay to check on people. Um, it may not always be received well, but at the same time, you want to make sure that you're doing your part, educate yourself about what to say, what not to say, and just take care of people, have good relationships and look for the signs and the signs could be anything. It could be a change in behavior, you know, just have good relationships with people and, and be mindful of the people around you. And I'll circle back to the Kevin Hines story. What made him jump off the bridge um, was that he said, if someone would have just asked me, how are you doing? I wouldn't have jumped. He said that he was walking and a lady walked up to him and he was visibly crying with tears in his eyes. And she asked him to take a picture of her. And he's like, and so he takes the picture and then like shortly after he jumped. But if one person has stopped and said, how are you doing? He wouldn't have. And then, of course, if he hadn't, he wouldn't be where he is today. And we get all that. But at the same time, that's the difference between somebody being here and somebody not being here. So you go to the store and the customer service person is mean maybe she's having a bad day. Maybe he's having a bad day. Maybe your kind word will keep that person from going home and snapping, you know? And so that's not to say that you're ultimately responsible for other people's lives, but it is to say that anything you can do to make somebody's day a little better, you could literally be saving their life just by doing that. Yeah, so true. So true. Yeah. Compassion. We need so much more of it these days. And um, thank you again for coming on the show. What an amazing interview. And thank you so much for sharing your story. So, so in depth and 
Um, you know, for everybody listening, I just really hope we helped you go a little bit deeper and, and look inside yourself and really look for that, that light, that spark, that sacred ancestry. And I just want to say, whatever you think you are, you're so much more than that. And all we have to do is explore. All right. Thanks. We'll see you on the next one. Are you a new author that's trying to wade through self-publishing of what category should I pick? Find the right designer, get an editor. What about the formatting? What's the dimensions that the actual spine of the book have to be? Is it gloss or white paper? There's so many different things that goes on in the publishing. And that's why I'm dedicated to helping indie authors that have gone through this healing journey through writing their own book. Publish that piece of art, publish that amazing work that could help heal others. And here's the thing, is when a book heals the author, the book heals the reader. And this is so huge. I know I say this all the time but it's so important. And, and I wanna help the world make a huge impact by spreading more books that heal the reader. So if this sounds like you, I want you to go to mountainmindtricks.com publishing. Again, that's mountainmindtricks.com publishing. And if you're wading through, should I publish on Amazon? What about Ingram Spark? How do I get my book into bookstores? What should I do to even launch a book? How do I get on podcasts? There's so many things that go into publishing. Again, that's why I'm here for you. I want to publish your book. So if this sounds like you, go to mountainmindtricks.com publishing. Again, mountainmindtricks.com publishing.